And here's another awkward introduction. We're back. I always hate the little burst of my voice I give whenever this episode starts, but here I am anyway. I uh, love it. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Uh, we have a guest joining us this week. A one good friend of mine and friend of the podcast, Mr. Stephen Trothan. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Stephen. Hi I'm there. So, <laughs> so happy to have you. Excited to be here. Good. Good. Most people aren't. They they sound very labored to have to put up with <laughs> the three of us. No, I'm just gonna try to participate and not say anything dumb. <laughs> oh, but the dumb stuff's the fun stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, as as we do these days with our guests, we're gonna badger you with some questions. Okay. And uh, we're gonna start with the one that I I, I I still don't really have good wording on. So we're gonna start there with. Uh, this film came out in 1991. Our first question is, how old were you in 1991, and what do you remember from the time? I was uh, nine, uh, but I was eight for most of the year. Um, I don't know. I remember Bush in the White House. I remember, like, cable TV. Uh, I remember the Terminator. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah we... not, not a whole lot from 1991. I remember it was, it was a pretty chill. I was eight. I was, I was living the good life. Third grade was good. Yeah. Yeah, third, third grade was good. Yeah. It was yeah. a good year for everybody, I think. Well, yeah. Kids aren't, you know, bullies yet. You know, still having the fun innocence of life. <laughs> I was yeah, only I, I was only five, but I remember my that was the year my dad took me to see Terminator. I've talked about that before, but it's like, oh, I think you're old enough for that. Okay. I don't know. I, I played outside. You know, we we went home when the lights on the street lights came on. Yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah. I enjoyed eight years old. Nice. Yeah. Man, I've almost. What What's our second question, Zach? What were some <laughs> formative uh, films or things that got you into movies? And I like I like anything with robots. So I was I was happy that you guys were doing 1991 because. That is when T2 came out, but before T2, you know, I really liked Robocop. I, I, I think I watched violent films at too early an age. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> but anything with a robot was awesome. Yeah, um, pretty dope. Yeah, good that was, that was good. Uh, I also, do you remember all the uh, Don Bluth cartoons? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, they were popular in the 80s. I think that was a really good start to appreciating cinema because they were, you know, they had motifs and they had themes and they were dark and as realistic as they could be for like a talking dinosaur or a talking mouse. Yeah. 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 American Tale was definitely very formative for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I really liked Rats and Dem. That was a bit, that was a big movie for me, I think in the eighties. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. So, Right, yeah, at least at, up until eight, that was those were probably what uh, got me into it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, and our our final and most important question: Have you seen and what do you think of the masterpiece that is the movie Cats? I have not seen that. I, all <laughs> I know about Cats, Facebook has taught me. Uh, <laughs> it was bad, apparently, and it, the CGI was creepy. Although I didn't find it particularly creepy in the trailer. 
but everybody just talks so much shit about it. I just didn't uh, care to put my time into it. It's <laughs> fair. I saw it at the movie theater and I loved it. Oh my god! Okay, Paul calls it usually the movie that makes all the wrong choices for the right reason or something like that. Or all the, <laughs> it made all the wrong decisions in all the right ways. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It is. Well, maybe I'll have to watch it now. It is what I refer to as a trashter piece. A trash what? Trashter piece. I love that. Trashter piece. That. Fever dream. <laughs> uh, one of those. I, I don't like the term so bad it's good because it's. <laughs> but it's it's probably the thing that I could say that most people would understand. Mm. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Stephen, for letting us badger you. You're welcome. Well, uh, anytime. Now, now I think we're going to talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie. beautiful people out there in podcast like my name is paul workman i'm zach mccoy i'm steven trothan and we are your oscar grouches welcome back to the oscar worsty podcast show where we discuss oscar winners throughout history try to determine where the academy went wrong if they went wrong what film are we watching this week zach we are watching the silence of the lambs where a top fbi trainee teams up with a psychopathic psychiatrist to figure out who's that rascal stealing all those skins just taking all the skins for himself. Yeah. Like a bag of pork rinds. Mm. All right. This is everybody's first time seeing this movie. No. No. No for me as well. Do you two remember the first time you saw the film? Steven, Steven go first. Oh, I, I don't know that I remember. I, probably a couple years after it came out. And, you know, it's not a hard R rating, but I remember liking it when I was probably... 10, 11, or 12. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at uh, 39, I, I still really like it. Good. Good. Zach? I think this is probably one of those ones where I'd seen an edited version on TV when I was a teenager. I can't remember uh, what exactly the edited version looked like. I'm sure, you know, there's not too many abrupt scenes that can't be edited too well. A lot of language has probably changed, I'm sure. But then I had my first proper watch when I owned it on DVD in the early 2000s. So, yeah, I've seen it a couple times since then. Uh, I was, I think, around 12 or 13 when I first saw it. And uh, the first time I watched it was also an edited TV version on the Lifetime channel. Lifetime? Oh <laughs> that's not a Lifetime movie. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I, Very different time. Like, it popped up. I don't remember how I saw a commercial for it coming on Lifetime, but I was my my parents let me like watch the edited Lifetime version, and then I ended up renting it. And yeah, I fell in love with this movie hard immediately, to the point that uh, when my family decided to get a dog, uh, we they bought a collie, and were throwing around names. But I was kind of reticent. I was like, I don't really think we need a dog. I just don't think our family needs a dog, which is a weird thing for a young man to say. But <laughs> they were throwing around names, and I was like, uh, yeah, 
if I were to name a dog, I'd name Hannibal, knowing that my family would never pick that. <laughs> I'd name it Hannibal after Hannibal Lecter. And they came home with this little fluff ball of a collie and put him on my lap and said, say hello to Hannibal. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. You name your dog Clarice. <laughs> or Precious. If, if, if it was a female, I, I would have named it Clarice. Very nice. But, uh, I, I almost wanted to name our dog Princess Clarice, but she was seven when we adopted her. and It, it felt wrong to change her name. So, yeah, she's still Princess, but Princess Vespa of Druidia. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's do an Oscar breakdown. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yes, it is a famished March 30th, 1992. <laughs> we are back at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion after another year off at the Shrine. Yeah, skipping so all just, around. Just bouncing from place to place right now. Uh, our host tonight is a third time returning Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Three years in a row. Hitting Good that job. groove. Yep. Good old William. Our most nominated film on the evening is Bugsy at 10. Mm. Our most awarded film on the evening is The Silence of the Lambs at 5. We got a lot of fun history to go over tonight so I'll, I'll add those notes in as we go thank you all right our best picture of course silence of the lambs giving edward saxon kenneth utt and ron bosman the academy awards for producer mm-hmm. it beats out beauty and the beast the first animated film to ever be nominated for best picture congratulations that's a hell of a first yeah you like beauty and the beast Stephen? beauty and the beast yeah i did i do um, I don't know if I would like it now. I, I'm not as uh, into animated films as I once was. Oh, yeah. Still a still a very favorite medium of mine. In fact, we've been watching a lot of Craig of the Creek recently. That's a mm. great show. Shout out Craig of the Creek. Yeah. We've been watching them more while I have when my nephews are over. Like just put on Disney Plus. Like they go to it. So I have been catching up on a lot of Pixar films. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, also in the category Bugsy, JFK. And The Prince of Tides. Our best director goes to Jonathan Demme for Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Beating out John Singleton for Boys in the Hood. Ooh. Making John Singleton the first black director nominated for best director. That is insanity. 1991, yeah. I mean, Melvin Van Peebles should have been in there at some point. Yeah. I mean, and at the very... no. I mean, even two years earlier would have been too late, but you should have had one then, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Spike Lee should have been nominated. Yeah. Uh, also, John Singleton, not just the first black director to be nominated for Best Director, but the youngest director at the time to be nominated for Best Director. I, mm. think, I think maybe still. I have to look that up. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, Jonathan Demme also beats out past winners, Barry Levinson and Oliver Stone. And Ridley Scott making a uh, an appearance for Thelma and Louise. Ooh. Thought I'd throw him out there for Trav, who is a giant Ridley Scott fan. Mm-hmm. All right. Anthony Hopkins picks up Best Actor, playing Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. There Secondary drinking game. Paul shows his handsome Funko Pop. Yeah, I just, I just love my little Hannibal. He's mm-hmm. hanging out there. He's so adorable like that. Love yeah, the dress. Big old eyes. Mm-hmm. I trust him. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> uh, have dinner with him. Yeah. <laughs> He'd have dinner with you at least. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. That's so sweet. Uh, Jody Foster 
picking up best actress for playing Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to shout out Laura Dern real quick, being nominated against Jodie Foster, and I will get back to her in a moment. Okay. Uh, she got nominated for Rambling Rose. Hmm. And just for a quick note, I really wanted this podcast to be about Laura Dern, but we went with Best Pictures instead. What, what were we going to call it with Laura Dern? That darn Dern. That darn Dern. <laughs> well, that'll be your spinoff. What was that, Stephen? I said that'll be your spinoff. Well, our spinoff right now is Thursdays. <laughs> yes. Uh, so listen to that on Thursdays. All right. Uh, best supporting actor goes to Jack Palance for City Slickers, <laughs> who gets up on stage and does one handed push ups. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot yes. rent that movie. You can't rent City Slickers? You can't. I looked for it. It was just, it was not there. You could buy it. But well, you cannot rent it. Best Supporting Actress goes to Mercedes Rule in The Fisher King. Mercedes Rules. She does. She's really good in that movie. That movie's just really good. Yeah. No. Uh, Robin Williams is also nominated for that, and that's still a better performance than uh, Dead Poet Society. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, best <laughs> screenplay written directly for the screen goes to Thelma and Louise. Wow. Also, also beating out uh, Boys in the Hood. So John Singleton gets nominated twice on the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our best screen. Oh, sorry. I need to go back to best supporting actress real quick so I could pick up that Laura Dern note that I dropped a second ago. Diane Ladd, also nominated for the film Rambling Rose makes Laura Dern and Diane Ladd the first mother-daughter duo to be nominated on the same evening. Oh, that's oh, very nice. Like Love lots, them. Lots of history. A little bit of history coming with this next win. Ted Talley picking up best screenplay based on material previously produced or published for Silence of the Lambs makes Silence of the Lambs the third film in the history of the Oscars to win what is referred to as the Big Five. The Big Five! <laughs> Picture Sweet. director, picture director, actor, actress, and screenplay. Uh, the last time this has happened was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975. And of course, hmm. before that, it happened one night. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there we go. Just history. History all over the place. Yeah. What a, I feel like what? all three of those are good titles to yeah. have that. Yeah. If we're going we're gonna to be heaping on the, the big praise like that, then. Give it to stuff that. Really what was that first one you mentioned? I don't think I saw that first one. Which one? Cuckoo's I've seen Nest? Cuckoo's. You've never seen One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? No, I've seen that one. What was the first one? Oh, that it happened that? one night. I did not see that. Oh, that's no. a that's a great romantic comedy uh, from the 1930s starring Clark Gable. Um, legendary Frank Capra. Do you? I, have... I'm bad with old movies. I maybe I, I won't say anything. <laughs> Criterion, take a drink, everybody. It's an amazing movie. It is. It is wonderful. You know, and uh, with Science of the Lambs also being in the Criterion collection. Have another drink. That makes uh, One Fuller of the Cuckoo's Nest the only one of the three not in the collection. That's that's an interesting little thing there. Probably, yeah. I, Ownership I did, rights. Yeah, probably. I, I I would say really get on it happen one night. It is a charming little film. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll go on the list. I'll do that. Just for you, Paul. Excellent. All right. Uh, our best foreign language film goes to Mediterraneo. 
I'm pretty sure I said that right. From Italy, giving Gabrielle Salvatore's uh, an Academy Award, beating out Academy Award winner Sven Nykvist, directing a film called The Ox. The Ox. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen this. Let me make a note. Yeah, that's, that's my boy. I thought you would like that. And uh, a director I'm a big fan of, Zhang Yimou, uh, getting nominated for Race the Red Lantern. Uh, we will hear from him in about nine years. Okay. So keep that in mind. Hmm. Our best documentary feature goes to In the Shadow of the Stars. Uh, about the Shadow Fran- of the Stars! <laughs> it's about the San Francisco Opera. We'll check that out. I like you know, there's an audio slave song, by the way, if nobody I'm not very good. <laughs> no, I didn't catch that. I thought you were just tripping. <laughs> not a very good uh Chris Cornell impersonator. Well, I mean who is? That, you could tell yeah. me, I would believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um best documentary short subject goes to Deadly Deception, General Electric Nuclear Weapons and Our Environment. Ooh. Well, like an upbeat one. Yeah, congratulations to our environment mm-hmm. for picking up an account. Hey, I live there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Best live action short film goes to Session Man. That must be a bit about some jazz. Yeah, that's what it looks like. At least a session guitarist. Mm. Uh, and our best animated short film goes to Manipulation. Mm. So we know how that one. <laughs> take that <laughs> wine and cheese night <laughs> just like what was that <laughs> oh, well, uh, dr doolittle <laughs> yeah dr doolittle jesus christ snacks nominate us <laughs> what just you know just find us in some categories possibly a low one like best picture who knows mm-hmm. all right and our best original score category of course brings us to our podcast within a podcast John Williams Oscar Watch. John Williams nominated for JFK. Oh. Good. That was a really good score. Yeah. But not yeah. for Hook, huh? Where's not he in Hook. there? Wait, you, he's he's only in this category once. We'll get okay. back to Hook. Um, but uh he loses out to Alan Menken for Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Yep. Uh, Ennio Morricone is also in the category for Bugsy. Oh, but nice. as a, as I said, John Williams is not done picking up Oscar nominations because he just wakes up and puts on pants and gets Oscar nominations. Yep. And he and Leslie Percuse, who were nominated for Home Alone last year, are nominated again for Hook. Yeah. Or When You're Alone. When uh, you're alone now. Uh, no. And they lose out to Beauty and the Beast from Beauty and the Beast, giving Alan Menken uh, his second Academy Award on the evening and Howard Ashman his uh, Academy Award posthumously. If Jonathan were here today, he would speak about the Renaissance. Indeed. And what a Renaissance it's been so far. I, I am a little sad to not see any nominations for uh, Rescuers Down Under in 1990, but, you know, yeah, whatever, was, I guess. That was a good movie. That's a great movie. I love that. I used to watch that all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 
I want to watch it tonight. Yeah, it has John Candy as a seagull. Like, how do you? <laughs> Seagulls See, but, do haunt my dreams. But do you remember how much darker the first one was? Yes. Yeah. We I've watched the first one actually a couple times since we got uh, since COVID. So we watched a lot of Disney. A lot. Uh, Beauty and the Beast also nominated for Be Our Guest in Bell. Bell is the film is the song I think should have won out of those three. Yeah, the bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Yeah. There goes the baker with his tray like always. All right. Uh, <laughs> best sound goes to Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yes. Giving uh Tom Johnson, Gary Rydstrom, Gary Summers, and Lee Orloff an Academy Award. Uh, Gary Rydstrom up against himself in the category for Backdraft. I watched that recently again. That's, I don't think I watched that one recently. I watched uh, Blown Away. Oh. Uh, I think that's a better film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Let's go to the other film. <laughs> I think Backdraft might be the. I haven't seen Backdraft in so long. Like, it's we, it's, it's kind of hokey. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but like, my grandfather and both of my dad's brothers are all firefighters. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> so like, it was it was kind of a big thing around our house that Backdraft was such a like huge hit of a movie. My grandfather even had the poster of it in his basement. Nice. I remember seeing Backdraft as a nine-year-old at our neighbor's house on like a 17-inch tube TV. <laughs> and they just loved it. They were so excited we we're going to watch Backdraft. Yeah, and I think yeah. the fire was cool to me as a nine-year-old person. But, you know. Yeah. <sighs> 39-year-old now. Oh, Backdraft. <laughs> Backdraft. Good job, Ron Howard. Little Opie Taylor. <laughs> He got good. It's no Apollo 13. Oh, we'll be talking about that in a couple of years. <laughs> All right. Uh, best sound effects editing goes Terminator 2, Judgment Day, giving Gary Rydstrom and Gloria Borders Academy Awards. Gary Rydstrom picking up his second Academy Award and four nominations on the night because he also gets nominated for best sound effects editing for Backdraft. <laughs> <laughs> Movie that keeps on giving. Just, yeah. Gary Rydstrom in Backdraft. Match made in heaven, I guess. <laughs> um, best art direction goes to Bugsy, giving Dennis Gassner and Nancy Hay uh, Academy Awards, who are up against themselves in the category for Barton Fink. Oh, yeah, mention that, that one later. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there then. Uh, best makeup going to Terminator 2, Judgment Day, giving Stan Winston and Jeff Dawn Academy Awards. Okay. Hook and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, also in the category. Mm -hmm. uh, best costume design goes to Bugsy, somehow beating out the Adams Family. Mm. That's weird. Also Bart Fink. Uh, best cinematography goes to JFK, Robert Richardson picking up the Academy Award. Mm -hmm. That is a lovely movie. Lovely it was really movie. well shot. Yeah. Uh, and, and apparently also very well edited according to the Academy Awards. I disagree. Uh, because it gets best editing. Hmm. That's a thing that happened, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Silence of the Lambs loses best editing to JFK. Hmm. 
uh, I don't think I had seen it in. Oh, uh, it also Silence of the Lambs also lost Best Sound. I just completely forgot to look for it in any of the categories. <laughs> um, but those are the only other two nominations it picks up. Best visual effects, and I'm sure we're all shocked right now. Goes to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. A good movie. Just shocked, shocked. Nobody saw this coming. How could we? <laughs> James who? Yeah. <laughs> James I mean you 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 might Cameroon, you I think like the Cameroon. Cameroon. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Carson, James right. Carson. Exactly. <laughs> James Poe Dameron. <laughs> oh Jimmy C. Uh, uh no Gene Herschel's humanitarian award again this year. So apparently Hollywood's still not on its good behavior. No. Uh the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, however, goes to George Lucas. All right. So George Lucas getting recognition finally. Mm-hmm. All right. Our honorary awards. I apologize if I say this name wrong. Our first one goes to Satyajit Ray in recognition of his rare mastery of the art of motion pictures and his profound humanitarian outlook, which has had an indelible influence on the filmmakers and audiences throughout the world. Hmm. Uh, to Pete Comandini, Richard T. Dayton, Donald Hagens, and Richard T. Ryan of YCM Laboratories for creation and development of motion picture film restoration process using liquid gate and registration correction on contact printer. We love restoration around here. It's, it's my favorite. Uh, and to Richard J. Stumpf and Joseph Westheimer for outstanding service and dedication in upholding in high standards at the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. There you go, Trav. That one's for you. And we have a Gordon E. Sawyer Award tonight. And this one is near and dear to my very nerdy heart. Ray Harryhausen picks up an Academy Award. (laughs) Oh my God. Ray Harryhausen on, on the night that Terminator 2 gets awarded for pushing special effects to their absolute goddamn limit. We also recognize Ray Harryhausen, who is doing the same thing in the 50s and 60s with films like Jason and the Argonauts, which is just one of the greatest films ever made. Awesome. Very nice. Stop motion master. Well, most of us should know his name for his stop motion work. Yeah, like uh, I, I know his name, but even I'm, I'm like... Unless I look at it, I, I'll, I'm, as soon as you say it, I'll be like, oh, yeah. But. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll go over a couple of the films he did. Uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Okay. Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, the original Clash of the Titans. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. He did all these epics with the monsters and medieval, not medieval, but fantastic. Like Greek mythology. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he, that, uh, that very famous clip of Jason and the Argonauts fighting the stop motion skeletons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, that was all him. He, he is just an incredible master of everything. uh, So much so that he gets name dropped in a lot of monster and science fiction films, including uh, one of my favorite films, monsters, Inc. Uh, The restaurant that everybody wants to eat at in Monstropolis is Harryhausen's. That's right. Um, 
So a couple of notes that I read on here that just made me so giddy with nerdery was that uh, apparently he was uh, very inspired by King Kong in 1933 to join uh, special effects and films that uh, he went to the newly formed School of Cinematic Arts at the University of Southern California, where he would also serve as a lecturer later on in life. Uh, and while uh, in school, he would become friends with a young writer that some people may know, I'm not sure, uh, by the name of Ray Bradbury. Uh-huh. Oh, friends of Bell. Just a bit. Uh, and they joined the Los Angeles chapter of the Science Fiction League. Oh, yeah, uh, nerds. Yeah, where they also become friends with Forrest J. Ackerman, who is a science fiction writer and literary agent. And the three of them would be buddies for life. Aww. BFFs? BFFs. Uh, in, during World War II, Harryhausen would end up serving under the Special Services Division of the United States Army, where he served under Colonel Frank Capra. Ah. Shooting, shooting uh, propaganda films. <laughs> yeah, he says he worked as a loader, a clapper boy, a gopher, and later camera assistant. And apparently, uh, <clears throat> while working during the war, he also worked with uh, Dmitry Timokin and uh, Theodore Geisel, a.k.a. Uh, Dr. Oh, Seuss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so after the war... He uh, apparently stole a whole bunch of 60-millimeter film and made a bunch of short films with it <laughs> and, and referred to those as his teething rings. Yeah. Uh, and in 1949 <laughs> or 1947, he would get hired as an assistant animator on his first film, the King Kong ripoff, Mighty Joe Young. So it comes kind of full circle oh. for him. Uh, and then from there, he just becomes the greatest ever. Uh, and when he wins his Gordon E. Sawyer Award, I think I'm just going to go ahead and read this verbatim from the old Wikipedia. Uh, during the 1980s and early 1990s, Harryhausen's fans, who had graduated into the professional film industry, film industry registry, bleh, started lobbying the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. There you go, again, trap to acknowledge Harryhausen's contribution to the film, and so. In 1992, the Academy finally awarded him with the Gordon E. Sawyer Award, effectively a Lifetime Achievement Oscar, for technological contributions which have brought credit to the industry with actor Tom Hanks as the master of ceremonies and Ray Bradbury, a friend from when they both just out of high school, presenting the award to him. Amazing. After the, presentation, cool. after the presentation to Harryhausen, actor Tom Hanks told the audience, some people say Casablanca or Citizen Kane. I say Jason and the Argonauts is the greatest film ever made. Tom Hanks is not wrong. What a beautiful moment. Indeed a beautiful moment. Not dry eye in the house. No. Um, so that is the great Ray Harryhausen hero to all. Thank you very much. Now let's talk about a movie. This movie. Yeah. I'll uh, make a brief note that's kind of a transition. Um, apparently, you know, this movie... A lot of subject we'll discuss and get into. There was a protest outside the award ceremony by some um, LGBTQ uh, groups that feared the reaction to the movie was going to promote 
homophobia. And um, hmm. so that was something I, I'd, I'd read a note about Jonathan Demme being uh, upset, like visibly upset during the ceremony that this was going on because it wasn't his intention and stuff like that. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I understand that concern. So we'll run with this for a moment that um, there, there is a really bad trope in Hollywood where queer coded villains uh, are, are very rampant. Yeah. Uh, the idea that it's uh, deviant or whatever. Yeah. Where, where homosexuality or other sexual orientations are, are a deviance. So if they're into that kind of quote unquote deviance, then they would be uh, open to just about any kind of deviance. And while that's a wrong-headed thinking, I don't think that is the intention of this story or film. No, especially because Clarice specifically points out she, during uh, talking to Lecter that no, that's this kind of behavior is yeah. Lecter points it out. I know what you're yeah. thinking of. They, no, go I was just gonna say. I think you know. I understand, like you said, I understand the concern, the issue with Hollywood, but I think it's one of those things where the film itself doesn't have that intention, and there's a line specifically addressing that. So, you know, I guess Stephen, Stephen, you seem like you had some thoughts. Oh no, it, it's something that I hadn't thought of. I mean, I had seen the film, of course, many times before, and then she has this exchange, Clarice, with with Doctor Lecter, and uh, she says that he's a transsexual, and then Doctor Lecter responds, "He thinks he is. He's not really." And I, I think that I think that was a very poignant line to say that. This was not, it was not, it, the movie didn't have an aggressive attitude towards members of the LGBTQ community, specifically tra- folks uh, who were transgender. Right. Yeah, transgender. and there, there is like a, a lot of, a lot of dialogue, especially in that scene, about the nature of the character of James Gunn, mm-hmm. who they openly discuss is he doesn't have an identity, so to speak, right. that he's able to pin down. So while he is very queer-coded, uh, that's not any of the reason I think that this character is written the way it is. Right. I also think, um, you know, it may not be fully intended, but I think there's a lot of uh, gentle... Um, positive queer coding with the uh, Starling's character in general, the way she's filmed uh, in exchanges with men versus how she's filmed with women. A lot of that could be just comfort, but it's, it's filmed like softer and more pleasant. And, you know, a lot of that can be reading into knowing Jodie Foster was closeted at the time, but you know, anyway, aside from all that, let's get to the movie in general. What do we think? Hmm. Stephen, what do you think? I think it was a nice little, nice little picture. I, it's, I, you know, I tried to watch a, a lot of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year, and even ones that were good. They, what stands about this film is it's just it's entertaining at the forefront of the film. It's entertaining, and then all the other rigmarole and acumen and the subtext and motifs they they come through after the entertainment value. And that's what makes it infinitely rewatchable year yeah. after year, and even yeah. thirty years later. Yeah, for for a film that is as unsettling as this can be in moments, 
it it is shocking mm-hmm. how rewatchable it really is. Yeah. How how you can watch it multiple times and pick up small things that you didn't pick up before and uh just get into the nooks and crannies of the characters and the themes and it, it it's just it's good Hollywood popcorn entertainment, right? I mean it holds it up is. really well too. And yet it it doesn't feel particularly right. dated as a lot of films I think yeah, do. And, and it's and it's era. weird how easily dated it is, but but it feels kind of timeless, right? Yes, a lot, a lot of practical effects. I guess there's not like there's no CGI or anything. Like good makeup and um prosthetics or whatever. Uh, and yeah, it, yeah. It, go ahead. It hinges on very well-structured characters very and every single character in there is interesting to right. watch yeah. on screen and, and, and as demi likes to do he he populates the the supporting cast with a bunch of weirdos so they're very <laughs> exactly. interesting looking people on on top of like the people that you get fleshed out stories for and arcs for are just infinitely interesting characters right but then you come to the side characters and just by looking at their face, you kind of construct a story for them yourself. Yeah. Like when she goes to the, the biologist or the, yeah. the bug guys. <laughs> See, when you were saying that, I was thinking of the, uh, when she's, when she's at the uh, storage unit, Esther Mott's yeah, yeah, yeah. storage unit. The guy who wants her. The, the older gentleman. See, exactly. That's, <laughs> I'm able to say weirdos are just populated in this film and you both go to two separate places. <laughs> <laughs> I have a weirdo I like. <laughs> your favorite weirdo yeah, in the and, film. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's just so interesting. Yeah, and it's just a it's just a really strong story on top of that. Like it's pretty basic, but it it creates so many of these tropes later on. Yeah. And of course you know, you have a, a good solid thriller, but um, you know, it's probably one of the more, perhaps the most violent. I mean, aside from war movies or something that we that has won Best Picture so far. Yeah, but it's really elevated in the genre because of the acting, I, th- I think, and obviously mm-hmm. Hopkins is incredible, and oh, Jodie Foster is amazing. It's, like I was watching this with headphones on after the kids had gone to bed and Caitlin's seen it multiple times too, but she's just like working on something. She looks up and she's like, I can hear his voice in my head and it creeps me out without even listening. It's like, <laughs> it's just, I, and I read that brief thing about, I had no idea he and Martha Stewart had dated at one time briefly or something. And she said, I, yeah. Oh, I read that too. Oh my She's goodness. like, and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep doing it. He, I just couldn't separate him from Lecter. She's like, sorry, man. Yeah, uh, that's for dinner. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I've never played a creep so well that my wife left me because I've played some some doozies of creeps yeah. in my in our relationship. <laughs> well, at least she knew you first, maybe from. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, and Hopkins. Apparently, Demi wanted Hopkins to be in this film because he saw him in the Elephant Man. Hmm. And Hopkins was very confused. As wait. No, those characters are nothing like each other. Why did you, why did you ask me to be in this movie? Hmm. Have you guys have you guys seen? Man, you saw the original Manhunter, yeah. I'm assuming. 
Brian Cox. Yeah. I, I it's, if I have, it's been a long time. It's not very fresh in my mind. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. I've heard it. It's. I mean, it pales in comparison. But that Anthony Hopkins modeled his character on uh, the Hannibal Lecter actor. Yeah, it's Brian, Brian Cox plays him in Manhunter, and, and Brian, Brian Cox, Cox is yes. good. He's really good, but there's just mm-hmm. like the second you see Hopkins on screen when she comes down that hallway and he's just standing in the middle of his cell, just fully visible through the glass. He's unnerving, and he doesn't blink. Oh, and I, did you? Re- I read about that that he doesn't blink. That he modeled that character on somebody he knew that didn't blink in conversation and made yeah, everybody uncomfortable. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things that you you just don't notice it at first until possibly it's pointed out to you. But just the fact that he just stares a fucking hole into your soul through this entire movie. Yeah. I think he just teaches us how to make good first impressions. Yeah. You know, just don't, don't stand blink. very you still. <laughs> Smile very In briefly. The room. <laughs> Pleasant. And yes. straight at your Mimic size. people's southern accents. <laughs> which apparently Foster didn't know he was going to do, so it threw her off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, He's so good. He is just excellent in this film. And, and Foster's, she's so understated. Right. Like the perfect counterpart. I'm honestly like, I'm not, I'm very happy she wins this Academy Award, but I'm honestly very surprised she does because of just how cool and collected she is through most of this movie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Academy tends to like really showy performances a lot, like when she won for uh, The Accused. Mm. I don't think I've seen that one. It's fine. It's fine. I love movies that start out like that. You should see yeah. it. It's fine. <laughs> it's just she's really good in it. She it's a very showy performance, but uh it's a whole film about a rape trial, and I I'm not sure that they handled it as as mm. neatly as they should, because it is I watched her last month in contact. Love her again. Film. And that is yeah, she's Eminently watchable. She's very charming on screen, no matter what she's doing. Even in that uh, Elysium movie, even when she plays mm-hmm. bad. Oh, guy, I love her. I love her. Spike Lee's Inside Man. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of a film I don't love Jodie Foster in. Mm-hmm. Was the last time you saw uh, what was it? Ben Nos- no, it's not Ben Nas and Broomsticks. What is it? She does it. She does it. She does a Disney film when she was Freaky like Friday. a teenager. No, okay, not that one. Yeah, I'll have too. to look it up. Uh, Freaky um, Friday is the one that's coming to mind, though. I mean, yeah. and we've watched her a few times for Thursday because she was in uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Like to see her and her and him get get back together for a film at some point. Yeah. You know, obviously, uh, Ted Levine plays his part very well in this film too. Oh God, he's so good in this movie. <laughs> I. I shouldn't quote that character as much as I do, but <laughs> God, it's it's not, it's hard not to. There's so many opportunities. Yeah, if you, if you got lotions or baskets or anything around the house, it's it's unavoidable. Whenever, uh, whenever one of my dogs starts barking at my neighbors and he looks really annoyed, I just 
Oh, he shouted, don't you hurt my dog. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at me very confused and leaves. Candle Shoe. Oh, I That's have not seen I'm thinking that. Of. Oh. oh, it's very good. Or at least it was when I was very young. But Candle I'll Shoe. I'll see if it's on Disney Plus. I think it's 1977. Yeah, that'd be around, yes. around the right time. Yeah. Coming off mm-hmm. the yeah, how do you go from Taxi Driver? Yeah, of course. Candle I mean, it's <laughs> just the way that film, that careers are trajectoried. Yeah, so, um, did uh, this film uh, did not get art direction nomination? I don't think you, you said it had like that, two technical ones, but that sounds right. It it was nominated for editing and it was nominated for sound, but our yeah. art direction is Bugsy, Barton Fink, Fisher King, Hook, and Prince of Tides. That's a pretty decent category. Hmm. But... I would throw out Prince of Tides. Yeah. Probably so also the... throw out Bugsy. Yeah. This, uh... <laughs> this doesn't have a lot of cinematography or art direction that's like particularly oh, I think this... but there's there are some particular scenes that are incredible. I think this should have been nominated for cinematography. Uh, I brought him up once on Thursdays because we covered him for the film Cannonball. Oh, Tak Fujimoto's back. That's right. That's uh, right. One of my favorite cinematographers, and I think he does a lot of really good work in this film. Yeah, shooting at Foster's level and mm-hmm. giving you the her sense of unease. Yeah, mm-hmm. does a lot of things, especially when she's talking to men, where men talk to her directly into the camera, and she right. looks slightly mm-hmm. off camera. Yeah, I I had read about that, and I before I watched it again, and it, it it comes through very much so how how much that adds to the anxiety for the yeah. audience. Yeah, and I I think I think Tak Fujimoto doesn't get enough credit for the unease that he helps add to this film. Right. Yeah, I remember seeing I saw his name in the credits, and I said, "Oh yeah, there's your boy." Um. <laughs> He, yeah. he does a lot of stuff with Demi, like a ton of it. And oh, speaking of Tak Fujimoto and Demi, Demi is, of course, a Corman guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. And who happens to be in this movie but the greatest human being to ever make film? The most important Roger man Corman. to ever make film, Roger Corman himself. Yes. He was a, well, he was like a, uh, Officer of some kind. When he went, when the he was guards. the FBI. He was the FBI director that calls um, that calls Scott Glenn about the the fake deal that Jodie Foster makes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So Roger Corman and two Best Picture winners now. Excellent. The other one was Godfather Two, right? He was in that, one of the. Yeah, he, he was one of the senators in Godfather Two. Yeah. So the yeah the. Oh, I was thinking there's uh, the the gentleman who plays Barney, uh, and he's, I think it was... In, uh, Frankie Faison. Frankie Faison, actually from Newport News. Yes, I Ooh, did know that. Yeah, went to Huntington High School when it was a high school. Wow, yeah. so thank you. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. I was like, I, I, I recognize him somehow. I'm a, and I'm a big fan of Frankie Faison. Mm-hmm. So. A very prolific actor. He has over 100 credits on IMDb, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's one of those guys who uh, I I believe we refer to as black famous. Oh, where he does a lot of like black cinema. So 
he is known much more through the African-American community than he is through the white community. Even though he's in Silence of the Lamps. Yeah. Best movie ever. Nice. My, my hometown guy. One of my hometown yeah. guys. Um, yeah, but with uh, Fujimoto's uh, camera work, I was thinking of particular two scenes. Like They're both kind of after he's transferred. The first, when he's listening to the music after he attacks the guards. Just that It's such an iconic shot. Up, mm-hmm. you know, and Ho- and um, Hopkins really sells the moment. And then, of course, when everybody comes in, they see the guy flayed up on the bars. Ah, it sticks with you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really does. It, that reminded me, did you guys ever watch the show Vikings? I have not. I want to, but I have not yet. In one of the first seasons, they do something called like a blood eagle. And that sort of... Uh, it, it, when he has the... the the guard up on strung up on the on the cage and he has uh the flag sort of come out from his back sort of like uh wings of a of an angel or anything it's uh it made me sort of think of that it was just a very gruesome way to die yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously the, uh, if you see the film it, it looks very gruesome and the and the guard he disembowels is a actor named charles napier who is a demi regular mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watch just about any Jonathan Demme film and he's going to pop up in it. Very nice. All right. Do we have any other notes we would like to go over for this film? Do we ever talk about the sequels? Do you want to talk about the sequels? You can if you want. I don't know. I, 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 I think I was disappointed to see that they recast uh, Clarice's character. With, uh, yeah, Foster Moore. just did not want to come back for Hannibal. And yeah. while Julianne Moore, I think, does a really good job, it's, it's just some shoes to fill. Like, Yeah. It just feels... Because Hopkins like came back. Character. Yeah. yeah. And, and I thought those films were very good. Um, yeah. With the slight exception to the Edward Norton van, uh, redo of Manhunter. Uh, I don't Red think Dragon. it's called Manhunter. Red Dragon. It's Red Dragon. They, they named it after the novel. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then Hannibal Rising is just terrible. Just Hannibal terrible. Rising is one of the worst fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I saw that one in the theater. So I do remember that trauma so I, I suffered from. That was terrible. I, Anybody I, watch either of the shows? I mean, there's a Hannibal and a Clarice show now, right? I haven't watched Clarice, uh, but I loved Hannibal. Well, I, I think I watched the first season of Hannibal, and I, I don't think I was in a right frame of mind. It's watching something that dark. I want to go back dark. and try it again. Yeah. Like the Hannibal show makes makes this film look like a Pixar film. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and of course uh, it was on Fox, so they canceled it right away because everybody loved it. <laughs> it. Shockingly, because um, Hannibal was done by my Mad favorite Mad showrunner, uh, oh. Brian Fuller, who also mm-hmm. did Dead Like Me and Pushing Daisies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, his, his stuff always gets canceled immediately. But uh, this one ran for three seasons, which is probably the longest one of his shows has ever gone. Yeah. It tells you. The man makes the most brilliant TV, but they're very niche audiences they're looking right. for. And so because they don't pull in numbers, they just... Yeah, they always become cult hits, though. Yeah. It was very well done. It just didn't feel like something you'd see on like network television. And which is No, like, they were... It felt very premium. They, like, Fox has this? Yeah, they were definitely chasing the uh, the the Sopranos market. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's something else. But, and I think if there had been probably more streamers at the time, they probably would have picked it up as the Amazons and the Netflixes sometimes do. Yeah. Was, and 
Yeah, when it got canceled, like Netflix was still kind of finding its footing with like original programming. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh they they weren't renewing canceled shows at that time. It, what are you gonna it, do? It, it, what you gonna do? Uh I do I do <laughs> like that the the fan base for the Hannibal TV shows called yeah. themselves fanables. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so that's fanables the cannibals. Yeah. All right. Any other any other notes or remarks we want to make before we move on? That's just yeah. a great, great film uh, and holds up well. Good thriller, good story, great acting, interesting imagery. And, you know, uh, like you said, it's created a lot of tropes, a lot of uh, imitators, a lot of parodies and kind of a cultural landmark. Oh, I I, I... Didn't notice something in on a rewatching how subtle and understated the ending was, mm-hmm. and yet how very satisfying that is. So I, I think nowadays when we watch any movie, when we want big fanfare at the end, thriller or otherwise, and this was just not that, but ultimately very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, very. Right. Well, I think we're going to move into our national film registry. Okay. Is this film in there? This film is in the national film registry. Okay. And, uh, the year it was released is 1991. So of course that means it's first year of eligibility will be 2001. So would you gentlemen give me a guess on what year it went in? Hmm. I'm going to say 2007. Well, I don't mean to price is right you, but I literally have written down 2006, so I'm going 2006. <laughs> well, your price is right at him, but Stephen wins the price is right. Uh, it, 2011. Oh. Okay. Oh. I, yeah. This is one of those wow. ones that I feel like deserved earlier, but maybe Congress was slow to put it in, even though it's kind of a positive FBI movie. I don't know. Uh I don't know. Um, it, it's kind of odd to me that it didn't go in any earlier, especially with uh, some of the stuff from 1991. We have five films okay, uh, that did go in earlier in this film. So our 1991 class is uh, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, yeah. Uh, which goes in in 2002. So it, oh. it misses uh, first year by one. Okay. Uh, Boys in the Hood also goes in 2002. Well, that's that's excellent. I'm glad they did that. Yeah, that's should uh, be. Daughters of the Dust goes in in 2004. Not familiar. Hmm. Uh, it is the first feature film directed by an African American woman distributed theatrically in the United States. Wow. Okay. Right. Wow, that down. Right? Okay. That's a. I'll check that out. Another uh, ridiculously late factoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Silence of the Lambs, and the only other film to get in is Thelma and Louise, which goes in in 2016. Okay. Terminator 2 is not in. Hmm. That is, that's, yeah, I actually find that, that shot. That's a crime. No, the first one is in. Okay. I the think that's why the not. machines rise up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. All right. So that's our National Film Registry class. Uh, Zach. Since Jonathan is not with us tonight, I believe we you're miss sick. you, buddy. Me too. I believe you said you were going to cover. 
Yeah, we'll cover the Razzies real quick. Uh, Razzies. Looks like we've got a kind of a big night for uh, Hudson Hawk wins Worst Picture. Oh. <laughs> Stephen, I believe you watched Hudson I, yeah, Hawk. Yeah, I was. When I was told you guys were doing 91 films, I was like, you know, I've always wanted an excuse to watch Hudson Hawk. And then I was like, I need an excuse to stop watching this movie. <laughs> Yeah, would you not make it? I made it an hour. (laughs) Would you believe that Hudson Hawk was written and directed by the same guy who did Die Hard? Wrote Die Hard. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, he was going through a dark dark time. (laughs) Yeah, Hudson Hawk wins over Cool as Ice, the Vanilla Ice Project. Oh, Jesus! Dice rules. I think that's back to back years where Andrew Dice Clay gets some nominations. Yeah, that's it. Adventures of Ford Fairlane was last year. <laughs> Nothing but trouble and return to the Blue Lagoon. Ah, uh, no. Ah, uh, sorry. No. Nothing but trouble is amazing. <laughs> um, a mutual friend of mine and Stevens, I saw do a uh, a riff track style roast of Cool as Ice in <laughs> Richmond a few years ago. <sighs> Worst actor goes to Kevin Costner for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> No, it's no. a little wild. I I don't necessarily agree that he should have been in there, but he does uh, switch accents a few times. In that movie. Yeah. You know what? He worked with a dialogue coach, and they told him not to do an accent. So I'm going to just going to say that's a director's <laughs> issue, not a not a Kevin issue. That's, right. Well, well, it is a Kevin issue because the director of that film is Kevin Reynolds, who's Kevin Costner's <laughs> well, best a, friend at the time. It's a different Kevin issue. <laughs> yeah. I like that movie. Worst actress. Oh, I do goes, too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Worst actress goes to Sean Young for a kiss before dying. Sean Young from Blade Runner. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and uh, here you go again, uh, Stephen. Uh, Dan Aykroyd wins Worst Supporting Actor for Nothing But Trouble. A good movie. You should rewatch it. <laughs> I don't understand. Ten-year-old me cannot be wrong. That was a good movie, right? <laughs> Ten-year-olds have never been wrong about this. No. I haven't Cost seen this uh, Kiss Before Dying, but Sean Young, is again, she w- she wins Worst Actress and Worst Supporting Actress because she's playing twins. She wins Worst Supporting – Worst Actress for the twin who survives, Worst Supporting for the twin who's murdered. <laughs> wow. Uh, worst Director goes to Michael Lehman for Hudson Hawk. Oh, I thought That's that was well – I thought that was directed by Stephen Nee D'Souza. My fault. He does. Uh, he does go on to direct. Um, he, um, Street Fighter, though. Yeah, oh. you, you're right about. Uh, he had about screenplay. The worst screenplay goes to Hudson Hawk for Stephen uh D'Souza and story by Bruce Willis and Robert Kraft. Worst Robert, new star goes to Robert Vanilla Kraft, Ice. the owner of the, uh, the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots. Yes. Also, Razzie winner. Worst new star goes to Vanilla Ice for Cool as Ice as Johnny Van Owen. And worst original song, The Adams Groove from The Adams Family, written oh, by MC bullshit. Hammer. Oh, just They're just taking the piss out of MC Hammer. That's, yeah. that's bullshit. I don't like that. <laughs> well, we'll end the Razzies on that sour note there. All right. Oh, so, anyone. So, are we... Um, are we ready now for our worsty judgments? Yes, let's do those. All right. 
So, Stephen, this is the point where we ask, did this movie deserve to win Best Picture for 1991? Uh, out of all the ones that were nominated or out of all the films in 1991? Well, uh, you can, if you feel like there's something that wasn't nominated, you can mention that one. Yeah. Um, we kind of... I think out of the ones that were nominated, this is the one I, I definitely would have picked. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the Fisher King, and I know that was nominated. Uh, I didn't like it when I was 12, and I don't like it at 39. I think Terminator 2 really shouldn't have gotten a, a nomination. I think that is an excellent film. I think it's timeless. I think it's James Cameron's best work. And I'm just an all-around fan, and I watch it at least once a year for the last 30 years. So I, I think that really should have gotten an Oscar nom. If you can do Thriller, you can do Action. I do agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, especially, that's what especially the fact that Avatar ends up getting nominated for Best Picture. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. that's way worse film. Right. Okay. So I'll ask myself, Zach, does this movie deserve Best Picture? And uh, I'll, you know, rank the other nominees. The one I haven't seen is Prince of Tides. So. I'll just uh, leave that one there. Of the others, my number three is Bugsy, which I, I like. It's been a while since I've seen. Uh, I remember it being all right. You know, the Academy is a fan of Old Boy Warren and, you know, it gets a lot of nominations, um, probably more than it deserved, though, as memory serves. Number three I have as uh, JFK, which I think is a... Um, really gorgeously filmed movie and very interesting, uh, incredible cast. I love seeing Jack Lemmon and, um, some of the old, uh, Walter Matthau's in there. And so many Gary Oldman is, I, I forgot it was actually him in some of the footage when you're, they're like watching it on TV. I yeah. thought it was real footage. Cause he looked so much like <sighs> Oswald. Yeah. So that's my number three or number two of the others. And then beauty and the beast, uh, watched it with the boys this week for the first time. And I was worried, you know, growing up with Pixar and a lot of the new, uh, you know, watching Encanto like five times a week now that maybe beauty and the beast wouldn't be quite their speed, but they sat and watched it with me the whole time. Uh, and especially the six year old, that's impressive for his attention span. And they, yeah. they said they enjoyed it. And I feel like it really holds up to me. I, I watching it as a grown up, you get some of the winks and nods that you don't necessarily see as a kid. So it was nice. I, I think it's really great. And I'm it's my favorite aside from silence of the lambs, which I do think deserved out of the nominees. Um, I would have kicked out Bugsy and not having seen Prince of Tides. I don't, I don't think it's like super revered. I, uh, Barton Fink, I think, and Boys of the Hood should have rounded out the five uh, for the Best Picture nominees. Barton yeah. Fink might be my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Ooh, uh, it it's just it hits me as you know a former um, freelance journalist and wannabe writer. It's like one of those self-identifying kind of movies. I love Terminator Two, also My Own Private Idaho, and you know maybe Thelma and Louise could have been up there. So, yeah, but I think even with that, Silence of the Lambs is probably the best movie of the year. Hmm. How about you, Paul? Did this movie deserve Best Picture? 
uh, going through the nominations, I, I did watch all these films. Okay. Uh, I think my number four is going to go to Bugsy. I just don't think it's a very good movie. Not a bad movie per se. It's just, yeah. Even for even for a film that's just over two hours, it's too long. Uh, I think Warren Beatty is a really weird fit for Bugsy. Like he just, I don't know. He he just isn't that character to me. Um, that's fair. I, I, I Levinson's done better work before this. He had you know Rain Man and Diner and. He yeah. does better work after this, and it it's fine. It's an okay movie, but that's all it is. That's the best it is. Is okay. Um, number three of the other four is going to be Prince of Tides. Also, a film I just didn't think was very good. It really drags for like an hour, hour like ten something, and then they have this huge reveal in the middle of the movie that is fucking weird. <laughs> And then you just have to watch the rest of the movie with uh, with uh, Nick Nolte and Barbra Streisand banging for like 30 minutes. <laughs> After, well. like, like they, they drop this weird-ass reveal that it's like, okay, now watch these two people have sex for the rest of the movie. What? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's also not very good. <laughs> um, the... I think, you know, it's Streisand directs it. And she, I don't think she's a bad director. I just think she picks weird passion projects. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to bang Nick Nolte. Yeah. For a long time, apparently. Find me a script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, 1992, we're just a year away from him being people's sexiest man alive. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, <laughs> This that's... is a fact. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have spoken. I, I guess... Banging, ah, you're coming out of the Reagan years, you know. Yeah, banging Barbara Streisand's 30 minutes in a movie will get that for you. So, um, I guess that puts JFK at my number two of the other four. Uh, this film is entirely too long. It doesn't need to be this long. It is an interesting kind of who done it, but it's also an interesting who done it that's full of shit. So, <laughs> uh. It, those those two things are very at odds with each other through this whole movie. And I'm just, all right, let's move along. This doesn't need to be two hours, fucking fifty minutes. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Mm. Honestly, if it was a two hour movie, I think I I might have been okay. I might have taken most of the bullshit with a grain of salt and just moved on with my day. But like that third hour comes around, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. So my number one of the other, the other four is Beauty and the Beast. It it really is just kind of the perfect version of itself, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and the songs are all good, right? And like getting that Broadway feeling into an animated children's movie, just it's unlike anything else. Uh, that and I think what is it Ashman and Mencken are the two guys who did little shop of horrors. So mm. that's always a plus. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So beauty and the beast, it's, it's really hard to beat. It's, it's not my favorite of the, of the Renaissance films, but it's definitely the, it's definitely the one I could see why this was the first animated film to get nominated for best picture. And 
why it's become such a beloved classic. And it was the first like Disney Blu-ray I ever bought. And holy shit, the extra the special features on this Blu-ray are incredible. All that being said, um, slotting in Silence of the Lambs, Silence of the Lambs is my number one. Silence of the Lambs is an indelible classic. It is one of the greatest films ever made, uh, bar none. Uh, There's literally nothing wrong with it, and it deserved to be Best Picture. Excellent. We almost had identical rankings aside from me not ranking Prince of Tides. So, yeah, there you go, uh, folks. It must be true. Must you guys be. didn't really talk too much about Fisher King. Did you guys like that? <laughs> I love the Fisher King. I didn't uh, think it deserved to be on that list. It, I, it I, actually I, wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It, I it wasn't. Had, it was Rob Williams was. He was nominated uh, for Best Actor, and uh, Mercedes Rule won one Best Supporting Actress. Oh, I feel like uh, I read the wrong list or anything. I wasted time watching that film. <laughs> I, I love that I, film. Uh, I am. I am very, very vocally on this podcast a. Uh, uh, Terry, Terry Gilliam, Gilliam Stan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I I believe I said Brazil is his best movie, and his second best movie is every other movie he did. <laughs> yeah, I. It's been a long time since I've seen Fisher King. I recently uh, got the Criterion though, so I need to rewatch it. But I'm you know, I'm a fan of Gilliam as well. So, and and Tom Waits is in that film, so that's uh, yeah. also not a bad thing. Automatically, a thing yeah. for me. Tom Tom Waits automatically gives any movie two stars for me. It's just a matter of the rest of the film can live up to Tom Waits being in it. Right. So time for our second question. And um, Stephen, you can rank against any other best picture you've seen. We, we, when we do it, we just compare it to what we've watched so far. Okay. Um, but is this the worst best picture winner? Oh, no, not at all. Do you have a particular movie that you'd think of, like when somebody asks you, does something come to mind? As the worst best right. picture? Yeah. How? What is that? I can't even remember the title, but Michael Keaton movie where he plays Hawkman or Birdman. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, that was, didn't that win best picture? It yeah, did. sure did. Yeah, I didn't, it was okay. I, I, I don't like, it feels like an indie flick. I, th- I feel like indie flicks are artsy and they, they have a special place and the Oscars just doesn't always feel like it should be there. I think that's the best worst picture. The worst best picture. Okay. Interesting. That's what I would say. I feel like bit. you guys disagree. That's okay. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll get there I mean, when at we this get point, there, I guess. Yeah, at this point, uh, I, I am not at liberty to say because uh, we haven't covered that film. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we... Maybe, Maybe I spoiled we'll it. I'm sorry. I no, no, it's there. fine if you say it. We we just I mean, try to hold our we've, opinions we've, sometimes. We've thrown oh, okay. we've thrown out some of our worst best picture ideas for the future, and normally, uh, I, I I just don't I don't know. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. I haven't watched it since it came out in theaters, so I I honestly just don't have a, a solid opinion on it right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was the one of most recent memory, but I think. Uh, Sounds of the Lens definitely deserves its uh, place, and definitely for that year. Nice. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to also say no. Um, looking at my rankings here, uh, I think it's going to jump into my top ten. I'm trying to think. My number nine right now is Sound of Music. Do I like this better than Sound of Music? Yes. Maybe I do. 
But do I like it better than One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest? Mm, you know what? I'm going to put it at number eight. Nice. Number eight. That's a strong ranking. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? As for our initial question, is it the worst? The answer is absolutely no. As for where I rank it, I'll just say that I sat down to this film and the really funky opening credits, those opening credits throw me off every time I see them. I don't know why. They're just silly looking. Uh, and while I said there was nothing wrong with this movie, those opening credits are a little jarring to yes. the quality of the film that is to follow. But as I sat down to watch this movie, the words, the silence of the lambs came on screen. And I immediately went to Letterboxd, gave it five stars, and put it at my number one. Oh, my God. Not even watching the rest of the movie. <laughs> Whoa. This is, I named my fucking dog after this movie. Yeah. This, this is in my top ten films of all time. Okay. I think it's just a masterpiece. There's Wow. It has so much going for it, and it does all of that right. Yeah. I'm having trouble, like, formulating words because I this film just means so much to me on so many levels personally and thematically and emotionally like it's so good it just it's such a dark movie to make me so happy (laughs) but the second like those weird ass credits come on I'm just smiling and I'm like I'm about to watch one of the greatest films ever made yeah I mean I get that same feeling too I, I get what you say um, it's not quite as much as you, but not far. Also, uh, my top two right now are the two best picture winners that have Roger Corman in them. So yes, <laughs> there you go. So that's me. That's I think this film's perfect. I think nice is the greatest best picture we have watched so far. So yeah, so that's uh, seventeen episodes, seventeen years for your new number one. Hmm. Lovely. Yeah. It has been since the Godfather part two. So, yeah. So I still have the first Godfather at number one and Godfather two at number two, but you know, it's one of those ones that depending on the day you ask me, they could rotate. I've <laughs> seen the Godfather. I gotta be honest. Oh, you should. I've tried watching it at least half a dozen times. You don't even ever, ever make it through about an hour. I'm very sensitive to the, to pacing. Gotcha. Do you like yeah, but, uh, lose uh, a ten- or tension or care? Or you like fall asleep or something? With- I just, I end up stopping. I have most of the way through the wedding. I just sort of stop caring. Oh, yeah. Okay. I go back every few years and I give it a go. I'm like, now I'm going to watch the Godfather. <laughs> and it just doesn't happen. It doesn't work for me because I want to watch all three of them. Yeah, yeah you can watch the first two. Well, see, I heard that there was an alternate edit for the third one that made it better. Yeah, I still haven't watched the alternate edit. I really want to. Yeah. And I I like The Sopranos, and I like Goodfellas. Like, I like mob movies, you know. I like Casino. If you get through the wedding, then you get to more of the mob stuff, I guess. Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Talk me into it. I'll try again. It is a new (laughs) year. I will try again. Almost immediately after the wedding, it just kicks into a different gear, and it's it's all mob stuff. It's... A little more political than Goodfellas, but you know. Okay. All right. All right. You talked me into it. Appreciate that. <laughs> Need the pep talk. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I might bump Silence of the Lambs up to my number seven. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Well, is, we got anything else for this episode? Uh, I'm there. Yeah, I think I think we're we're calling it here. Jonathan yeah. usually paces us and Yeah, he's and, he's good at it. We're schlubs. <laughs> Uh, well, I Steven. really appreciate y'all having me. This was yes, fun. thank you for coming on. We we appreciate you filling in kind of at the last minute when our other guests had to drop. So yeah. we really yeah. appreciate you being here, and we yeah. can't wait to have yeah. you back. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm available. Yeah. You have I'm anything available. you want to plug or like places you want people to find you on uh, online or anywhere else? Oh no, I prefer the anonymity. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm in the ether. Leave, leave them there alone. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, Zach, where can people follow you on the lines? Well, you can find me on Critiker at Zachmaster, X A K K M A S T E R, TikTok at House Havoc or Letterboxd by searching my name and Mr. Workman. Uh, you can follow me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where I'm keeping a rank tally of all of the films that I watch. And I watched, uh, you know what? I want to talk about something nice. I watched Tragedy of Macbeth this week. Ooh. Holy fucking shit, that movie is amazing. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, just Denzel, Francis McDormand, just absolute top of their games. Joel Cohen is doing some stuff uh a lot of um i can't think of the phrase in my it just dropped right out of my head uh german expressionist influence okay in this film i've seen some still shots online that were like uh kind of like looking like the seventh seal a little bit or something yeah yeah a lot of uh cabinet of dr caligari going on it is gorgeous it is just a beautiful film to watch and that four three presentation gives it that that real claustrophobic feel. So Mr. Workman, this is a, a family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> is it? No, I guess not. <laughs> and and I feel like uh I I I do the film a disservice if I don't bring up the witches like everybody else. The witches are just the new benchmark and creepy. Okay. They're so good. I enjoy witches. And they're all played by one woman. Uh incredible. Just incredible work. All right. And Zach. What are we yeah. watching next week? Uh, next week, we are watching Unforgiven, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, Voodoo, YouTube, or stream on that HBO Max. Oh, HBO Max, Clint Eastwood. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Loving Up of Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. Trav. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You know, I, I didn't mention Bill and Ted's bogus journey at all during this, which is oh. also came out in 91. Incredible film. Also <laughs> my favorite film of uh, all time, Rocketeer. Beautiful. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I used that, uh, that type of... Um, I thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork, because if I didn't, yes. I'm uh, doing it now. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Oscars Pod and on Facebook at The Oscars Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. Goodbye, horses. I'm flying over you to give us five stars. <laughs> For Stephen Traubin, normally Jonathan, and Zach, and the census takers who tried to test me with some native liver with some bottle beans. 
I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs> <laughs>